0: As we, Lord, as we keep uh, moving into what you have for this morning and as we keep pressing in Father, I ask uh, even as those words just said that you would teach us how to drop the things from our hands that we're holding on to that we've told ourselves will bring life, we've told ourselves we'll, 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 we'll fix it. And they uh, they don't they don't work they, they uh, they're like children's candy. Would you teach us to pick up that, which is really life, by being open-hearted to what you have. Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing us to worship you. Thank you for giving us words that help our hearts to find a way to say what our hearts have been trying to say. We're really grateful. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. So, kids, hold on just a second, because it's Father's Day. We want to say Happy Father's Day to our dads. Um, And so... Oh man, they're ready too. They're like standing like. Uh, it's been a, a a funny year for for me as a son, in that uh, my parents who seem to keep perpetual youth, in many ways it it, it started to run out, and uh, and so I've been thinking about my dad because it's Father's Day, and when, when I was a kid, like when I was really really little. He had a, a cherry red convertible Ford Galaxy, for those of you who might know what that is, and uh, and oh, he loved that car, and it was it was a beautiful car, you know, like the white interior and and uh, and of course having kids, you know, and two, I was the second one, became three, my little sister, it, and then eventually then my fourth sister, Susie, Susie, if you're listening, we count you, you're one of us, but. Uh, <laughs> Cars like that didn't fit. And so there's these things my dad had to put away to be our dad, and, and they didn't have any money, my poor parents. They were, they were really working hard for it, and someone gave us a, a Cadillac, like a late 70s Cadillac, like one of those land yachts, and it had a bullseye painted on the roof of it, and, and it probably got, you know, like three miles or gallons to the mile, maybe. I mean, it was bad, bad news. And, and at one point in there, my parents realized they were spending more money on gas than they would a car payment and a new car, and so they went and bought a Datsun 210, still aging myself, because most Datsun eventually became Nissan. Datsun, we traveled across the country in that stupid little hatchback, the five of us. Susie wasn't there yet. We still count you though, Susie. But, uh, and uh, this is the life. And then minivans, right? All the minivans, and, and, and I love minivans because of what they can do, but honestly, in my dad's heart, that Ford Falcon was, or not the Falcon, the, uh, the Galaxy was his car. And so finally, you know, and all the kids went through, and, and my sister's 10 years younger, so it was a lot of years of kids. I'm on it. I'm getting the wave, like, are you going to send the kids out? I'll send them. But uh, he got that one Ford Mustang. Well, this year, my dad, uh, I might tear up on this. I don't tear up much, but my dad was, uh, found, you know, like legally blind, and he can't drive anymore. Old age is hit, Dad. And I know you're listening, Dad, and and I'm just thinking like, what a loss that is. So it's just a few weeks ago, what a loss. Because for my dad, driving isn't just the ability to get somewhere, my parents don't live very near anything. And so in, in many ways, life is closed in around him. But it's a, for me, it's a symbolic loss of what, it, I mean, my dad taught me to love cars. My dad worked on cars with me, and he, and he taught me how to work on my car before they were all made out of computers. And <laughs> dad, I'm so proud of what you gave up to be our dad and all you dads what we give up and so kids the reason I kept you in here because you're going to say happy father's day to your dads today and you're going to you're going to do some stuff for them and I want you to hear just tell them thank you for what they gave up to love you cuz they did we gave stuff up to be your uh, to be your parents and so wherever you say happy father's day to your kids and whatever dads we know what you gave up we know what you set down and each one it's different of course but we we see you there but i want to flip that because dads be careful that we don 't think today is going to somehow really be the full validation of all that life was about because it can 't and our kids are going to give us a tie and a card and and kind of like most dads are like, "Can I just cook myself a steak and eat it in peace that 'd be great actually, but uh, <laughs> kids tell your dad you love them and tell them thanks you can get off the kids church. Thanks for staying. Um, so Father's Day's a funny one because when it comes, you know, like uh, I went to a, uh, a church service once where it was Father's Day and they they had cut off a piece of rebar and made keychains out of them. And some I don't know it somehow said we're stronger. I, I don't know what it was. But who carries a rebar keychain? What am I going to put my keys in my purse? My keys go in my pocket. I don't need a piece of, right? And, and whatever we do, it always feels like for moms, we can like flowers. There's things we can do. Do you know what we want? We kind of like a convertible. So, I, so we actually looked into the budget debts. Could we get a convertible for each year? And we found just a bit short. And we didn't want to play favorites. So we, we weren't able to pull that off. I think what we really need here on Father's Day is Happy Father's Day. We see you. We know. And so, in light of that, I did. I wanted to keep going with Peter. I, I didn't want to do a whole sermon trying to like bring meaning to fatherhood and all those things because it's bigger than that. And uh, and as we continue on with with Peter, and we've been looking at Peter as a church. Um, I wanted to set the stage, because if you recall, he's been saying that we are the royal priesthood. We are this, this people who God intends to show himself to the world through. And if that's the case, we need pictures of what that'll look like. And so far, I've just set up that that's what we are. Now Peter, in, in his book, is going to start to deliver what he thinks that looks like and why. And so to help us do that, I got this here. Oh, Yeah. And you remember like maybe Halloween or Easter or something when you got that stash. And, and if somebody would have stolen your, I don't know what I got there, your lemon heads, maybe you'd have suffered the lemon heads, but not the Skittles, Lord help them, right? It was, it was as though you'd found all the value that can be had. But here's this funniness. I don't know what kid's thing or, or what had been done, but some bag of candy that looked just like that sat in the Brookside office for I don't know how long and I walked past it every day. Because I didn't value it at all as an adult. As an adult, when I would look past that, all I just saw was sour sugar and maybe just a little bit of chocolate there with the Hershey's, but it's nothing good like a, like a Snickers or a Milky Way there. There's nothing, right? And maybe you still love candy. I don't know. But children have a warped value they do they have a warped value for what's really life and because of that they will wrap their hearts around it and say this is truly it and as long as I have access to this life I will have the good life and and of course if you remember maybe if if for Halloween if you were the type who trick-or-treated or Easter or wherever if you ever got a candy trove I hope you remember how your heart grabbed hold of it because that's a thing Today we have to talk about maybe some things that we have grabbed hold of and called life and what they won't do for us. And so if we can jump into uh, 1 into Peter, and uh, by the way, I've, for whatever reason, lost the slides down here, and if you get a shot at it, good luck. If not, eh, I'll just turn around and read. So picking up where, uh, see, this is the awkward, I normally have it here so I can look at you watching me today. Okay. This is coming up. He's been saying, look, as, as we be living sacrifices, as we be the people who represent God, we are unified in our love for one another. This is so terribly important because if you could imagine that somebody who you've met and, and they're starting to say, maybe this God that you worship has something, and then you bring them, thank you so much, amongst the believers, and they just see that they are just a bunch of jerks to each other and can't stand each other, and like, oh, I see what you really are. Yee. But moreover... If we can't practice the way of heaven together, then we don't have a way of heaven to offer anybody. We're frauds, fakes. We use our gifts to uh, help one another become like Jesus. We do more than just love one another. We actually help one another grow into the way of Jesus, which we're going to talk more about today. And then for, he makes his appeal to the world for it, through us, which is what we're talking about. so let the appeal begin as Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners. So we're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. You can see that on the screen. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. In other words, you know that candy you thought was so awesome that you've placed all all your life in it but it didn't work because it's just candy and it can't do it i want you to stop grabbing hold of things peter says and call them your passion because they actually wage war against your soul the more you make these things passionately yours the more they undo you he says and so keep your conduct amongst the gentiles because he's writing to a jewish audience remember at first christianity was largely jewish And with that Jewish mindset, Gentiles are those who are on the outside of this thing looking in trying to decide if they think it has merit or worth. So we would, I don't know, whatever you want to think of somebody who's looking at Christianity and not buying in, that would be our Gentiles, right? Keep your conduct amongst them honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day of visitation. Now, before we jump into the day of visitation, what is that? Is it a big thing? And uh, whenever you, uh, this is a little tip off here, whenever you see things like that, and if you're reading the Bible for yourself, and and maybe a question mark comes up, what is that? What we want to do is we want to go to the commentaries. So you can go to studylike.org or or Bible Gateway, and and those are the free ones, or or you can come to the office, we've got commentaries on the shelf, whatever. And sometimes all the commentaries are like, it means this. And you're like, oh, that's so nice. It means that. This is one of those things where the commentaries went everywhere. Is it referring to when Jesus comes back? Is that when they're going to glorify God? Is there another day of visitation? But I think maybe the best way to see this little passage is that Jesus, when he walked into Jerusalem in the book of Luke, some of you remember Luke from earlier in the year looked and said they didn't understand that God was visiting them on the day of visitation. So Jesus coming to Jerusalem was a day of visitation, in which case maybe the best way to think about this is God comes to people. And offers them this chance Because Jesus comes to Jerusalem and says This is a chance for you to decide what you're going to do about God And I think every person has a spot or spots in their life Where they have to decide what am I going to do about God And if their experience of God's followers Has been brutal and hurtful and un-Jesus like Imagine how difficult it will be for them So Gandhi went to church in South Africa to try out the Christian thing And because of the color of his skin Out he goes And although he loved Jesus' teachings, he couldn't do the Christian thing because he had been amongst the Christians. That's one example of what this might look like. And Peter's saying people are going to have an opportunity to be visited by God. And if they have been betrayed by us, what is it going to do to them? So motive number one, that we would want to be God's people that Peter's going to put in place today is so that others can best respond to God. This is a big deal because we really want people not to check the Christian box and to join us so that we can have more people checking the Christian box, but because they want, we want to see them really experience the God who loves them, the God who cares about them, the same love and mercy and joy that we've received. We're hoping that others have a shot at it. Well, that being said, he goes on and says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He says, you want to act in a way amongst those Gentiles In a way that will help them experience God Well, one thing you can do is be subject for the Lord's sake To every human institution Whether it be the emperor supreme or to the governor Sent by him to punish those who are evil And to praise those who do good For this is the will of God That by doing good You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people And we need to make a stop here Because this is one of those spots in the Bible Where the Bible says, obey the government and uh, we have to figure out, what do we do in our world? Because there's a few subtle differences, maybe even how we might approach government from them, is because in their world, the emperor is the government, and, and that's what it is. In our world, it's a government of the people, for the people, by the people. And so on some level, we're gonna have to figure out, how do I both be governed, but also be part, and appropriately part of being the government? I have a vote, I have civic opportunities, right? And so it becomes difficult for us because I don't think as Christians we always handle it very well. So if we're going to do this and, we, and we, we can't make the whole sermon about this and yet we really have to think this one through so that we can apply it to Peter's idea that he's saying there's a way of doing this. So that being said, we need to have a short little sermonette. This may help some of you and others. It's just going to be a subset of the whole thing. So I put a line there. It's funny because however they've got that thing, our line's at about a 14 degree, whatever. It's a sweet vertical line in my PowerPoint. Mine looks better here. It's on now. How do we do this government thing? I just want to give you a couple thoughts today. And I think it's super important because we are now turning the page toward 2020. And for the next year of your life, (laughs) government is going to be a question, right? Well, the first thing we have to ask ourselves is as Peter says to obey the emperor, well, what was his situation? In other words, maybe their emperor was awesome and he brought about virtue and good, and it was easy for Peter to say, well, if you know much about the Roman emperors, you're probably going to doubt. Well, this one, because uh, we, we know when Peter wrote this letter, this guy was emperor. This is Nero. Nero's mother. Uh, I don't remember how his father died, whether it was nefarious means or not. There's a lot of nefarious deaths around Nero. His mother married the emperor, who had a son named Britannicus, who was supposed to be the next emperor. But somehow she made uh, she made the emperor decide that Britannicus wasn't the guy after all, despite being his actual son. Happy Father's Day, Dad! And, and off he goes. And and she gets Nero to be uh, named emperor. And as soon as the emperor died, Britannicus is dead. And Herod's, or, uh, sorry, Nero's mother, Herod Nero both evil kings are. Nero's mother is now the power behind the throne until he gets sick of her and then he has her killed, which is awesome. His debauchery, by the way, if you know much about Nero, legendary. And then after Rome burned, he needed someone to blame. He blamed the Christians and he began killing the Christians as a way of trying to like make up for the fire of Rome. According to the Roman historians, not the Christian historians, the Roman historians, that he used Christians as human tortures in his gardens. And Peter says honors, and by the way, maybe the most criminal thing of all, that neckbeard. What the heck, right? I mean, come on. This is the guy we're supposed to honor. Look at the neckbeard, right? No. So Peter is looking at this and he's helping the Christians live in a world where that is the power that is ordained for them to figure it out and saying, if we're going to be the tribe of Christians, if we're going to be the tribe of disciples, we have to have a way to live out the kingdom of heaven underneath all of that. So let's review a little of what Peter had learned from his master Jesus so we can maybe get a sense of how he's approaching it. So we always go here. If we want to say, what is a disciple of Jesus? We would go to the place where Jesus said to his disciples. If anyone would come after me, a disciple, somebody who comes after somebody. So he's literally saying, if you want to be my disciple, here's the definition. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever tries to save his life, loses it. Like a child trying to get their well-being from Skittles just doesn't work the skittles are gone your stomach doesn't feel very well and it hasn't brought the life it promised and whoever loses their life for his sake will find it what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world forfeits his soul let's talk about that principle again so for whoever would save his life lose it right we know this to be true we know that our hearts say if I finally have enough money then I'll have the life despite the fact that the rich are not particularly happy we say to ourselves, if I have enough control, if I have enough freedom, if I have enough liberty, if if I have enough absence of pain, what, whatever picture you make, if you describe it as the true good life and say, I will make that life for me, you will easily go look and say, well, who's perfected that life and realize that they're not truly alive. They haven't found the happiness that it promised. It doesn't work. So then we go to the other one and say, all right, well, whoever loses his life for his sake. Now, this sounds good because we know that Christians are into some sort of self-sacrificial living, right? That we want to lay down our lives. We want to learn to forgive. Uh, We want to be the type. I just use this one because it's hard for me. But we want to be the type who, when it's not our turn to do the dishes, we do it anyway just to love people. But I want you to catch, there's a subtle picture here that because of Jesus' context, he didn't add it. But I want you to know there is a third option. Even for crucifixions by the way Because Jesus is trying to say That the way to find true life Is to obey your father Even to a cross But that's okay Because although he's crucified on Friday He rises again on Sunday And although you forgive And it feels like a loss of life You can get it back And although you can love people Who don't deserve love You can become alive at the end of it Or although you can suffer evil From a boss or, or somebody You can get it back We have to talk about the cross Because although we have evidence that people can be resurrected from crosses, most people who got crucified just died. What about the people who just lose their life? What about the people who they didn't choose a cross? The cross chose them. Have you ever seen Spartacus? You know, the crucifixion. And that's, although it's a great movie, it actually really happened in real life. There was a, a gladiator slave named Spartacus who started a revolution. And everyone in the re- revolution got crucified along the roads. Apparently the crucifixions went for miles. They all died. None of them rose again. Many people... Get hurt in this world They become victims Many people, they didn't say Oh, if I, I, if I suffer this evil I can return good They just suffered evil and got broken by it I think that happens to us a lot It happens to us so much We can start to think No way will I become a victim No way will I become a servant No way will I allow myself to become humbled No way will I return good to that person They don't deserve it And you're right, they don't. And we become deeply afraid that if I return good, that I've somehow said that what they did wasn't evil and that it'll just be forgotten and it'll go away. But that's not what the scripture says at all. God says he'll avenge. He sees it, he knows. So if we, if we want to talk about what's happening, Peter has to know that this is what Jesus ushered him into. And as we think about politics, we have to have that whole worldview coming into mind because when we see the next school shooting, I promise your Facebook feed, uh, is, this, is Facebook now too old? Instagram, you know, whatever, whatever the kids are social mediating these days, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's going to become filled with lots of what we need to do. You know what we need to do And invariably the answers will come from governance The government should do this The government should do that And if anybody said you know what we really need to do Is we need a reign of righteousness That comes from obeying Jesus You'll be looked at like you just gave the Mickey Mouse Club That's nice Your little Christian answer Can we get on to the big boy government solutions now And if that way of thinking Rules your heart Something very very damaging is going to happen Let me explain First of all look at history Maybe government's supposed to be the big boy solution. Then, how come, despite you know numerous styles of government, un, I don't know, uncountable numbers of actual governments and kings and dictators and presidents and democracies and communisms and whatever, who brought about the reign of righteousness? If it's the big boy solution that actually works, then how come it never does? I think government can do a lot of important things, but it can't save the world. It cannot. And so as we come as Christians, if we believe that it's the real answer, then our hearts will begin to use it the way we would use a God, and some bad things happen. So let's talk about how we can actually deal with government, because you've got an election coming up, and some of you are going to like the red one, and some of you are going to like the blue one, and, and if you're more like me, you just don't like anyone, it doesn't matter, and, and wherever you are, and I don't want you to hear today who you're supposed to vote for. As a matter of fact, I think that's Gross. But I do want to give you a heart that sees government appropriately so you don't quit riding on its highs and lows. Some of you might love this president, in which case I suspect you really didn't like the one before. And some of you loved the one before, in which case I have a strong suspicion you're not a fan of this one. And of course, before that was another one, and he had a W in there somewhere. And before that one was the one who had the intern. And before that one, we could just keep going. Maybe, oh, jeez. We've tried blue, we've tried red. Did they save the world yet? Because most of my life, I I vaguely remember Jimmy Carter, but boy, the Christians have been very excited about government as the way to bring about the reign of righteousness. And I think it's done us irreparable harm. Not irreparable, Jesus couldn't repair anything, but profound harm. And it's not because we invested in government, it's because we believed in it. Do you see the difference? So here's one of my three thoughts. Number one, instead of helpless passivity, well, there's nothing we can do, we're just going to stand idly by, how about trusting action? My God's got this. And because he's got it, I'm going to take action and I'm going to try things and I'm going to see what we can do because government's a thing that can be used if it's done in faith through my Lord. But as soon as I believe the government's the actual savior, I'm lost. My trust is in my savior, not the government. Number two, bitter cynicism. I've seen a lot of bitter cynicism over the last, I don't know, well, there was the never bush whatever and the, from both sides, this belief that somehow the person who was elected to our highest office somehow represented God's opportunity in the world and if they didn't do what you wanted to do, all hope seemed lost. Really? I mean, really? Or maybe God's kingdom's just fine. And I would like us to try to vote in righteous, vote righteously. I would like us to try to see what we can do. But it's just government. It can't. No more than, by the way, Rome was killing Christians. God's fine. God's fine. As a matter of fact, there just became more of us. You know, the, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the saints, is what the ancient Christians said the more Rome tried to kill us. We're fine. We are. So instead of bitter cynicism, cynicism confident Righteousness. And this is important because this does leave, because we are of the people by the people, this leaves profound room for even civil disobedience. You know, like uh, the way civil rights worked. That they would say we are going to act in a certain way because... The Christians knew when to obey the emperor or not because the emperor said stop being a Christian and they said, uh, no. Right? So it wasn't like Peter couldn't figure this thing out. right? And in the same way, there's a time to oppose the unrighteousness of the government but not using unrighteous means. So the reason Martin Luther King won and Malcolm X didn't is because Malcolm X said, we can use bitterness and cynicism and power and that will win and it can't. Martin Luther King Jr. taught people to walk across a bridge and take a baton to the face and win. And win. And the Christians have the opportunity to be the same sort as we have confident righteousness. Third thing about government, instead of angry rebellion, wise submission. Please stop being angry. Please stop being angry about the last one or this one or whichever one. The next election, it's highly likely you won't like your choices. It's fine. I'd much prefer I had a choice. I'd like, really, I'd like to have a choice that I want to vote for truly. Our God has it. Stop worrying. Don't be passive and quit. Really seek how can we use our voice because it is of the people, by the people, as whatever bit of governance has passed to us. Use it wisely. Use it in confidence. Use it in faith before the Lord. Love one another through it because others aren't going to see it the same way as you. And by the way, our God has it. Take joy. It's going to be Trump versus someone else and you're going to like one or not like one or not. Our God has it. Real good this is what Peter takes into governance and so here's my, here's my conclusion of seeing governance and then we're going to just follow through Peter's way of thinking to see how we can because what this is really about is how do we be as a people number one let's be neither afraid nor enamored with the power of men's government really they can make Christianity illegal tomorrow and we're going to be fine the Romans used to kill us and we just grew we're fine the Lord's fine but we're not going to be enamored with it either it's not the power to save men's souls. It's not the power to fix planet Earth. It's just government. Hopefully, though, it can do really great things because we trust things that our Father can handle. And number two, so let's reject anger, fear, bitterness, all this garbage. Really, take confidence in our Lord that despite, maybe maybe you'll like the next president, maybe you won't. I don't know, despite all of it, he's got it. If Peter could honor Emperor Nero... Let us be the sort who honor whoever comes next, whoever is currently. Not because it is, believe me, neck neckbeard did not deserve Peter's honor. (laughs) But our Lord does. Our Lord deserves honor. And so we bring honor to this one and the next one and the next one because, not because of them, they don't deserve it. They're just men. Our Lord deserves it. Which is what he says. So Peter continues. So now that we're thinking Christianly about government, and now we're able to think Christianly about the Roman Empire and the American... Republic. Let us live as people who are free. Not using our freedom as a cover up for evil. In other words, as freed people I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my king. The American government's fine. But I don't start to go, well, I only serve Jesus and the American government has no hold on me. I'm robbing a bank. (laughs) Right? That's ridiculous. Okay? I use my freedom as an opportunity to build the thing that I joined in the first place which is the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. If I want heaven, I want heaven's way and heaven's way is what i have the freedom to do so i'm looking to bring heaven's way to earth even with nero's on the throne and because of that honor everyone love the brotherhood fear god honor the emperor so motive number two is to be free you see when i really believe that government is the possibility of changing the world think about the slavery that i enter into of rising and falling on every day, I read Reuters, you know, and oh my gosh, the stuff that comes from government, or or the next edict, or the next state that does this, or the law that does that. But the day I realized that I serve an empire or a kingdom that will never end, and a righteousness that will will grow and can't be beaten. It's just this law. It's just that law. We're fine. Truly free. But he goes on because this way of thinking goes beyond just thinking of government because he then goes on to servants. Because this is the Roman Empire. A lot of people existed in servant relationships. And he says, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the unjust ones. Some of you have good bosses. Some of you don't. Some of us have the opportunity, because this is America, we're relatively mobile, to look at that bad boss and go... Because we're taught that somehow toxic people are going to poison us and that we're helpless to it. And that all we can do is hope to get far enough away from the toxic people that we can keep our souls safe. This is not Christianity. Christianity is designed to teach you how to stay fully alive, fully free, fully filled with joy in the presence and underneath the oppression of the most toxic of people. And if you have that, then you are the most undefeatable person in the world. And so with that in mind, he says, not only the good and gentle ones, but also the unjust. For this is a grace filled thing, gracious thing. Another tip for you sometimes if you're reading and you come across like, this is a gracious thing and think what, what, what? I wonder what he means by that another thing you can do and for this I really do like BibleGateway.com because you can type in that verse and then it'll show that verse and underneath it say show in all translations and they've got like you know, 54 different translations you know some more for children some more adults some older some newer some where every time it comes across a power word they'll put like 42 words in to try to describe it all the way and some looking for just one wow And what was super interesting, and that was what I did here. Because I see, what does he mean it's a gracious thing? I have to do my work, too. I don't just magically read the Bible and understand every bit of it. I do my homework. You can do yours, too. And he says, it's a grace-filled thing. And it has both to do with the idea that you're being gracious. Some of the translations emphasize that more. And the idea that it makes you free and open to God's grace. And this makes a ton of sense because if I believe that I can only have well-being if I protect my well-being and I keep you toxic people out and only let you good ones in and everything, then all of my saviorness is put on me. And so the graceful one to me is me. But when I trust that my Father can keep me well, even if I have a terrible boss or a good boss or a bad, and I have to serve underneath the elders, <laughs> pity me, I have the best job. You see how this works? We have the opportunity to declare ourselves freedmen, not by pushing out all the others so that we can rule ourselves, because that makes us dependent on our own well-being. And instead, say, my father, you have me, you know. So you could work a job, and every day your boss looks at you and says, you know, like, I'll probably kill you tomorrow, like the line in... Princess Bride, thank you. (laughs) Literally, the word VeggieTales is the only thing that would come to mind. But I knew I wasn't right. And I was like, come on, Steve, get VeggieTales out. So, Princess Bride, it would not work. Thank you. Thank you for whoever saved us, you, NATO, right? Good job. All right. tails. really? Okay, that <laughs> so we have the opportunity, even in the midst of someone saying, I'll most likely fire you tomorrow, or you're on the edge, and we feel, where's it going to go to say, my father has me. If I get fired, if I keep my job, if my boss said it was a good job or bad job, if I did my job knowing that I did it before my Lord, and my Lord looks and says, great job, good job, I see, I know, then what does my boss have to do with my well-being? and if I get fired I'm wondering where's that paycheck going to come from can my father provide has he provided that's why Peter says no matter what See, well, well first of all what credit for you, if you, you know, if you did a bad job at your work and you got fired for it or whatever I guess that's how it works. But you see, if you're working as though to our Lord, if you're working to his pleasure and you're doing it right and an unjust boss treats you unjustly, he says, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure it, this is a grace-filled thing in the sight of God. This is how we save the world. We don't save the world by taking control of the power of government and shaking our fist at it and trying to overwhelm it. We change the world by every time we suffer evil and return good. And he's teaching even servants how to do that thing. So motive number three, it opens us to God's grace. Because when I can't provide for my own well-being, or if I stop acting like I can and try to save my life, I lose it. Instead, when I live a life saying, I can, I can just trust that my Father has me. And if I come to the end of the day and He says, well done, well done, then that's what I needed to hear. It opens us to his grace. So, so far, he's like, this way of living, it's how we can best respond to God, to be truly free. It opens us to his grace. And then it says, for this you have been called. This This is what you were called to. When you signed on to the Christian thing, this is what he was hoping you'd do. Because, first of all, Christ suffered for you. In other words, before you get all like, I'm not suffering for anyone else, remember, someone suffered and died for us. Leaving also leaving us an example So that we might follow in his steps This is why I am always pressing us To not just think of Jesus as Savior From our sins to get us to heaven But example for how life can work Because the apostles kept writing about it So I will keep telling you about it That he's not just saving us from our sin And that by the way is amazing That he saves us from our sin But it also says this is how you can do it An example to us So that you might follow in his steps He committed no sin Boy, talk about unjust, unjustly treated. He actually didn't sin at all. Neither was deceit found in his mouth, and he was reviled, but he didn't revile in return. And he suffered, and he didn't threaten. But continue to entrust himself to the one who judged justly. My father has me, is what he said. You can say it too. So motive number four for us being the royal priesthood, because our master did it he's teaching us a way of living life that can profoundly bring well-being and joy not just to us, but to the world we can do it we could really believe that far more than the ineptitude of government is the righteousness of the saints to really, really change the world but if we do that think about how empowering that is but also how much responsibility is there so he finishes by saying this he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness not just to save us from sin but to actually free us from all of the self-protection of life and the needing to take care of self because I'm so afraid my candy's going to be taken away and to realize where good and real life can be had and to live toward it, that we might actually live righteousness, which means we produce it in the world and we get the well-being that comes from it. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, and now you return to the shepherd and of your souls. Man, why do you guys come on? As we start to close toward the end of this uh, Father's Day, I want to challenge you to ask, where have you been entrusting the powers of this world to save your life. Maybe I can have a good day if my boss says a good job, and if he doesn't, then I'm, I'm I, or she doesn't, then I'm, I just am over. Or maybe if I keep my job, or maybe if. Where have you been entrusting the well-being of your soul? And where is it keeping you captive? And can you believe that even if that thing were removed from you, and even if the most unjust president of all time, with a neck beard and assassination of his own mom kind of president, whatever, comes next? Can you be well? Because the King reigns.
1: Because the King reigns. Father, thanks for the reminder today that you are our King, that you are our Savior, and that you're our Father. Thank you for the reminder that you have us, that there is nothing to fear, that you will provide you will continue to work in and through our lives, and that you have us. Father, I pray that we would be the people that 1 Peter describes, that we'd be a royal priesthood. that we'd be those who endure suffering, who always rejoice, who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit reminder today, Father, we are so grateful to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Brookside, before I let you go this morning, I... um yeah, just again, happy Father's Day from us to you. I also wanted a few, a few quick announcements, but I also wanted to let you know that about this time every year, the elders and their wives slip away for 24 hours, which we did this past weekend, these last couple of days, just to pray for the church and to dream for the future. And we want you to know that we had a fantastic time. And we talked about three major conversations, the first of which was the way forward in regards to discipleship and what it means for all of us to look more like Jesus. And we're excited because we're talking a lot about how to bless our children and how to actually really empower our high schoolers and middle schoolers and those of you who are single to married and families and who we call the empty nesters, I guess you call yourselves, right? And beginning to really dream forward. And we talked a lot about being on mission together and what that looks like to have a very distinct presence here in Bowling Green and in the surrounding areas. And then even operationally and organizationally, how we continue to maximize our resources and the things that God has entrusted with us with people and finances and facilities and so forth to continue to be the Brookside that God has really carved out for us to be. I want you to know, my wife and I, Teresa and I have, every year we're involved with Brookside, the more and more proud we feel to be a part of this family. And I know the elders and our wives feel the same way. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to be a part of this also we invited the staff yesterday to join us for several hours and I just want you to know um, what a privilege it is to have a Steve Risky and an Amy Seifert and a Ricky May and an Aaron Kessler and now a Tyler Bach as this staff team. They love you so much and they serve with such sacrifice and vision and selflessness and it's really an honor to be involved in leading alongside of them. So we're very proud of them. Make sure you pat them on the back in the next days and weeks and thank them for their service. But also, this mobility team that puts this together every single Sunday morning, again, thank you. Um, Ricky did whisper in my ear just before the final song. He's like, hey, can you give a quick shout out that a lot of our folks are on vacation today? And if any of you would be willing to just walk up to Ricky in the next few minutes and say, I'll help tear down. We could use a couple extra hands. The only announcement I have is, obviously, just to keep on your calendar, June 30th, Sunday, right after church, we're going to be at Carter Park. Carter Park, right? Carter Park, just to kind of have a family fun day, to bring food, to grab some food on the way, and just celebrate and have fun together during these summer months. Hopefully, there will not be a monsoon on that particular Sunday. But in Bowling Green, Ohio, you never know. That said, dads have a fantastic Father's Day. Families, all of us, have a great, great Sabbath. And we love you. Anything we can do to help or serve, any way we can be praying for you, don't hesitate to ask. Have a great day.